latest episode of Fratello on Air. I'm Mike Stockton, coming to you from the sunny Frankfurt, Germany. And I'm Balash Ferenczi, coming to you from the rainy Page, Hungary. And my name is Jorg Weppelink, and I am coming to you from a sunny The Hague. Yeah, it's not sunny here in Germany, by the way, but uh, what's up, Corona Kumpels? <laughs> Locked away in our homes. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. Uh, so we're recording this on a Monday. We got off to a bit of a false start on Sunday night uh, because my German internet did uh, exactly what German internet does when it starts to rain, and that means... Go kaput. Kaput. <laughs> yeah, Fela, and uh, yeah, both of you guys are in different countries, which means your Wi-Fi is exponentially better. So, yep, you would think the Germans would do better, right? Well, I don't know. I think that um, I don't. I don't have a witty response that wouldn't, <laughs> you know, probably would get me in trouble. So, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do a number of ways to respond, but <laughs> funnily enough, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be I'm gonna be PC or PG thirteen. Actually, um, I read an article. Somebody sent me an article. Why does German internet suck? Mm-hmm. And there's really a huge article explaining how this technology in Germany, like kind of, well, let's just say that although they have the latest gear and the latest you know TVs and laptops and phones. The, the system is just not up to up to date. And it was a pretty long and quite interesting article explaining. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. It, when I go home and I, I do the speed test, I want to cry. So it, article or no article, it doesn't really help the situation, but it helps to understand. But still, um, somebody told me that I'm going to be, and, I'm, and I quote, in the middle of nowhere uh, compared to Germany. Well, in the middle of nowhere, uh, my dear friend, I will not name. I have 30 times as fast internet as I had in Germany. So. <laughs> Go figure. So you're telling Netflix shows you watch that you thought were done in slow-mo or uh, <laughs> <laughs> were just buffering? Exactly. I was like, I was like why, why is this dramatic slow-mo and how to get away with murder like every second scene? <laughs> you like can the, see the blood spatter. It's like psycho, right? <laughs> in the shower. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so yeah. uh, different story. Yeah. Fair enough. So... You guys are doing uh, okay where you are? I am, actually. Um, s- um, slowly, the uh, the country's opening up a bit again, as in uh, the Netherlands has uh, opened up their uh, terraces again. Um, and um, it's a little, it feels a bit like back to normal life over these last two weeks. And from the way it looks now, um, in a couple of days, it will open up even more with... Uh, Mijia and zoos actually opening up as well so uh yeah it um we're uh, we're go- going to better places as it seems nice yeah yeah same here same here ever since i've i've been here for two weeks this is the third one and um i think the terrace is open just a few days before i arrived so um everything is open outside until 11 and uh the lockdown starts at 12 p.m. until 5 a.m. So 
go figure. Why do you need a lockdown between 12 and 5? That's another story. Because nothing uh, good happens after midnight, Balash. Nothing. True, true, <laughs> true. But uh, but it's it's almost normal here as well, uh, aside from, you know, the the masks and stuff like that. And although I had to come home for some unfortunate events, uh, I kind of enjoyed uh, being able to see more than three people like I have in Germany. And those are my lovely neighbors who I hate from the bottom of my heart. Um, <laughs> well, for obvious reasons, we all know, I guess uh, sometimes I, I mentioned them, but I actually just hate one of them, I, I must say. Um, but no, it's, um, it's okay here. And hopefully, I don't know what's up in Germany, Mike. I, I see the news that it's something is happening there too. Yeah. You know, I always say you need kind of a master's degree to figure out the rules here. Um, (laughs) so I just, uh, ask people and assume that they're telling me the truth. (laughs) Um, but yeah, like my daughter's school has gone back to, um, you know, the every other day thing. And they're talking about, I don't know, you have some people saying by beginning of June, they expect, um, I don't know if it'll be outdoor dining again, should be open. But what I do know is that on the 19th, um, Austria reopens. And I think next week I'm going to go fly out there for work. And with my get impfta pass, my vaccination card, I don't have to uh, do any kind of testing to go in or out of there. So just have to register that you're coming in. But I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that. Hopefully I can get a big old schnitzel and um, yeah, start to travel a little bit more regularly. You know, I don't mind the mask thing, so it's fine. Yeah, that should be the least of your concern. Exactly. Yeah, we'll see. So, we'll see. It's going to be yeah. interesting. I think uh, they're opening up around Germany. I saw that uh, news today that other than France and Sweden, Germany is kind of allowing um, people to to travel to pretty much every European country. I mean, that was a list of of countries where you don't have to take a quarantine if you have a negative PCR test or something yeah. like that. I, I can't can't recall exactly, but. Yeah, fingers crossed, huh? Fingers crossed. But you got your, you got your first shot as well, Balas, didn't you? Yeah, I got my my first shot two weeks ago. Okay. Um, so, um, uh, well, according to the Hungarian government, I'm already vaccinated. Oh, really? <laughs> <But it's> just, <laughs> you're done. Yeah, they, just send, yeah, they just send you the card and you're good to go. If you want a test second, well, you can come back and have that. But as far as we're concerned... I mean, you know, Euro Cup is happening in Hungary as well as in, I think, in the Netherlands. Well, some some games they'll be playing in the exactly. Netherlands. Exactly. If it's well. still up to the original schedule, we're um, we're having like one or yeah. two games. I think I'm not up to speed to be yeah, honest yeah. with you, but uh, no, we're, there's some games planned in our country as well. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So um, nice. they they want to they wanted to push uh, push the vaccination here as much as possible. Are, which cool. is good. Are you so, staying for the second good. vaccination, or are you really going uh, home? No, no, no. No, no, I'm coming. I'm going back to Germany, and then I'll, I'll come back um, probably in July. Have my second shot, and then take a few weeks off uh, because I was working from from home here, from home office, basically, which is not fun, really. Because every time I'm here, I'm always on holiday, and I was I was basically locked inside okay. my apartment from nine to six. Yeah, no fun. I know how that feels, but at least um, you can go out afterwards. So true, true. So, it's watch time, folks, and 
Before we uh, kick off today's subject, I think we ought to do a bit of a Handgelenkskontrolle. So Balash, mm -hmm. do you want to kick us off? Right. So um, because I was traveling, I didn't bring a lot of watches with me. I have only four watches here. Two only four. My huh? watches. Well, two of <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, two of my watches and two that I'm I'm reviewing for weeks now, if not months. So they should better go back. But I mean, three weeks I've been here. I couldn't send them back. So um, I only had my Speedy with me, the Vintage Speedmaster and the the GMT, and um, I have the Clockers and the Doxa uh, Carbon uh, for review. Um, so, but this time I'm, I'm wearing most of the time, actually I'm wearing the Rolex on the Oyster, um, bracelet. It's just, just works with everything. Even with my extremely fashionable, uh, Pony Stewart hoodie, shout out to NASCAR fans all around the world. Um, but all jokes aside, yeah, it's a cool watch. I love the size. You know, we talked about this many times. So that's the one that I'm, uh, I'm wearing today, which is unfortunately not even the vicinity of coolness of york's piece, oh really as far as i can see from the camera oh, oh, oh really? uh, i beg to differ Balash. Oh, yeah. if there's one cool watch then it's uh, <laughs> a vintage gmt master uh, uh that can have a beating no 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 um well no 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 <laughs> well thanks no i'm actually wearing uh my uh, trusted omega constellation manhattan first generation um that that was um It needed a battery change, so I got it back last Friday from uh, uh, watchmaker Paul, as we uh, all know him. Um, quite a few people in the Fratello team uh, like to uh, send, their, send their watches to him. So, um, yeah, he did a he did a check and uh, replaced the battery, so it's uh, running as new. Um, mine is actually from... What year is that? Mine is actually from 1984. Um, it was originally introduced wow. in 1982. Um Hmm. And um, but it has the original um, 1422 quartz movement in it. Uh, although Omega introduced a, an upgrade um, in uh, 1983, but this is um, yeah, this still has the first movement. So this is really like the the first um, quartz constellation Manhattan that was out there. And I have to say, it's only 33 millimeters, a little over 33, but it wears bigger. Uh, as you know, I'm a I'm a rather big guy. I'm six four in American, uh, in uh, six feet four, and I'm like one meters ninety four centimeters. But I can actually pull this off, um, and it yeah, it looks pretty good from here. Yeah, it doesn't look too small. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed thirty three. Yeah, that's cool. Oh, because of the integrated bracelet makes it. I that's guess, it, right? It look kind of bigger it, than um, it is. I have mm. to say, it, it wears very comfortable. It actually wears almost like a bracelet because it's very thin and it. Um, It's very, uh, it's very nice to wear. Actually, I'm happy to have this back. I uh, didn't have it for, I think, a month or two. And I didn't really miss it because I have quite a few watches in rotation and there's always watches that we can review. But um, I've been wearing it today and I've, I have to say I've missed it, really. I, uh, I'm glad to have it back. So what, is, what is one of those costs these days? Um, Any idea? Yeah, sure. Uh, depending on uh, depending on condition, um, you're looking at anywhere between say five six hundred, but prices have gone up um, more towards a thousand um, for one in good condition. Oh. Um, 
But that's, I mean, that's crucial for these watches because they have uh, printing on the glass, which made them really uh, unique. I mean, as you guys know, the watch has claws on the side of the of the watch, the first generation that actually have a function as well. Um, so it holds the glass down. Um, but the, mm. the by printing on the glass, they actually printed the uh, the hour markers on on the glass, and those tend to fade over time. Um, so be on the lookout if you want one that actually has those markers visible and that obviously will cost uh, a little more um but it's still uh, it's still a good good catch if you can find one uh, for um, i'd say anywhere between 500 and 8 900 um it's a fun watch yeah, cool. that's like the watch that uh, liberace might have gifted to his chauffeur or something <laughs> well. <laughs> <laughs> That's giving it a nice, nice bit of credit. Wait till you see. I mean, I have the steel one with the champagne dial, and it has a black bezel actually. But there's one that's gold and steel, and they had full steel. Uh, sorry, full gold editions as well. Um, those will. Uh, I don't think. I, I don't think Liberace ever touched anything no, steel. Exactly. Yeah. No way. It was full gold <laughs> or nothing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Only for the chauffeur, because like you know, you you gotta be careful. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I, I bought, I think it was from um, somebody RJ knew up in the, up there in the Netherlands. He um, turned me on to a same era Ebel um, with the uh, wave bracelet, you know, yes. and it cost like, it was like a few hundred bucks or something like that. And I need to have the bracelet sized. I can't get one of the pins out. It's like corroded or something, but these watches from that era... They feel like you're wearing absolutely nothing. That's it. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's it. But they were not cheap back then, these watches, were they? No, they were actually uh, Omega's um, uh, most exclusive collection. They were top of the bill, actually, for uh, Omega. Uh, so um, hmm. they weren't cheap at all. Um, and the quartz movements were, were also uh, high-quality quartz movements. And they made, even of the first generation, they made a mechanical one, but those are really hard to find. If you find those, uh, jump on it, and they will be really expensive um, because mm-hmm. there uh, only a few were made actually uh, featuring a Omega caliber 1111, um, which is essentially an EDA 2892-2. Sl- um, but there's only a few made, so... Um, the, nice. the quartz ones are the ones to go for. And I just had a quick check, and um, yeah, you can still buy these under a thousand um, if you're lucky. Um, cool. Yeah, it's a good catch. And what about you, Mike? Nice one. I am wearing my grandfather's um, 1996 Rolex 16 to 20 date just that. Um, my dad and my aunt gave him for his 80th birthday. So they gave him a, um, a day chest with a blue dial and the, um, the fluted bezel, but not the white gold, the, um, kind of machined, uh, bezel Mm -hmm. and it's on a Jubilee. And this was, um, still a tritium dial, but they had switched of course, by then to a Sapphire crystal quick set date, and yeah, I, I think, um, you know, much like the Explorer I own, that's a couple years after this, there's something, at least for my wrist size about these 36 millimeter Rolexes, they just really fit 
perfectly. And with these old stamped end links, you know, um, super comfy, you know, Bolish, we've talked about this on the 1675, because this is basically the same bracelet yeah. that um, you sold me from 1984 uh, for my yeah. 16750. And yeah, I just like these, uh, the simple clasp and everything. It's just a great watch. Um, the Datejust is like a watch that um, it's another case where when they were a couple thousand bucks, I should have picked up a couple nice ones with the dials I liked. Um, those days are gone now, <laughs> but yeah. it's just a great, they're, they're really great watches and kind of like, um, well, you can wear them with anything, honestly. So I don't think I will allow myself to go down the rabbit hole of picking up tons of date justs or anything. I should be happy with this one I have, especially cause it's got a special story behind it. Um, but I would tell people that, um, yes, a date just is a bit of a dime of a do- dime a dozen type, uh, Rolex, but if you get a nice one, that is pretty much a watch you can kind of keep for the rest of your life. And if you travel for a week or two, you know, dress up, dress down, whatever, it'll go, it'll go do anything you need to do probably. So that's it, right? Yeah, and it looks good on most wrists. Actually, I I, I always thought that the day because I have a, a large wrist, but uh, and the day just is pretty small. But I always felt that if I wore a day just, it looked okay on me. And um, I think it's the type of watch for whatever reason. Maybe it's a design. Maybe because, as you said, you can see it everywhere that it looks good on guys with smaller wrists, with larger wrists. Um, maybe it's the Jubilee bracelet. I don't know. It just it just works with every size. Of course, not the crazy large wrists but a normal size even if you have a bigger wrist just put it on man it's a day just it's gonna look good yeah i mean i think you know with a day just or a day date which is pretty similar looking um i think a lot of people wear them with a little bit of a, of a dangle which obviously then mm-hmm. makes it <laughs> work with all kinds of wrist sizes but yeah. yeah like i always say in articles you know when i grew up um 36 millimeter Rolex was like the go-to watch. You know, if you wore a suit every day, especially if you're working on wall street or if you're an oil guy in Texas with uh, tons of money, you wore a 36 millimeter, probably a, a day date. Right. And nobody thought of 40 millimeter plus as a thing you had to have at that time. So True. you're right, Balash. They work with a ton of different wrists. I think it's just, trying one on and and seeing if you like it or yeah, maybe people have gotten so used to bigger watches today that they would think it looks funny, but I don't, my, my uncle, for example, wears a two-tone date, just 36 and he's probably, I bet you he's over two meters tall exactly. and it doesn't look funny on him at all. It just there fits. So yeah. So I'm saying, yeah. So with that, um, folks, we actually have a reader submission or a listener submission for our topic tonight, today, whenever you're going to listen to it, maybe in the morning. Um, but we'll do one quick piece of news, a very quick one. Um, I was on Instagram the other day and I saw a uh, Sin ad on there and they said, hey, head over to our website. It's our 60th anniversary. If you want, we will send you a 60th anniversary catalog. So I went over and did that 
and living here in Frankfurt where they're located. It came like the next day and uh, it was free. Um, and I was a little bit disappointed. I thought it would have a bit more history in it because it looked like a nice hardback uh, catalog, which it is. Um, and it's got like a big 60th anniversary seal on the cover and doesn't really have a whole lot in there about the history, unfortunately. Um, but it's, it's a nice thing to get, um, especially cause it's free. You can check out all their new models. And then in the end, it's got a list of all the EZM models, which, um, man, I need to look up what that means. Um, but these are basically all their mission models and it gives the, a brief history on especially those that aren't made anymore. So it's just a, a neat rundown. So if you want to head over to Zen, you can, uh, no matter where you are in the world and they offer a bunch of different languages, they'll send you out a catalog. So check that out. So with that, let's move on to the main topic, which comes to us from Finland. So Balash. Yeah. Comes th- to us from Finland from a, sorry, you were saying? Well, I was going to say you wore a NASCAR hoodie today. You should have worn like a world rally championship hoodie because isn't Finland a little bit more into uh, rally racing? Absolutely. Yeah, WRC and uh, also Formula One with uh, obviously Kimi Raikkonen. Mika, Kimi Raikkonen, Mika Häkkinen. But true, it's coming from from Finland um, from a reader who sent us an email and he said that uh, he's a watch enthusiast from Finland and he has a suggestion for a topic. He would be interested to hear a discussion about differences in watch cultures of different countries, because we have obviously guys in the team from, well, Mike from the US, me from Hungary, uh, you're obviously from the Netherlands, but Mike and I were living in Germany. So um, he'd like to know, um, for example, how common is it in different countries that people wear watches, how popular the watch hobby is nowadays, what are the different models, and is there any specific brands or models to certain countries? Etc. Etc. So I think it's a pretty cool topic. I I ran this by Mike and he was interested in it. And then obviously we pulled Jorg in. So I think uh, with our little uh, trio of international Fratello members, we can uh, we can have a pretty cool discussion about that. Yeah. So so we thought we'd break the question down into a few different topics. So um, we thought we'd talk a little bit about the culture of get-togethers in different countries. We talk uh, about um, just watches in general in countries. So, you know, our watch is popular and maybe a little bit about the brands that, that we see as, as more popular than others, depending on the country, you know, on that topic, um, you, well, like you guys have, have traveled extensively and you certainly find that, you know, certain brands, like for example, Sin, we just mentioned huge in Japan, for, for whatever reason. And, uh, so, so you see these different types of, um, brand awareness, um, depending where you go. And some of it has to do with history. Maybe somebody famous in the country war or something like, I think Longine is quite popular in Japan, if I'm not mistaken, but, um, let's talk a little bit about, uh, the culture of get togethers. And I think this one as, as an American, uh, my feel on it, uh, is that, you know, while I, I certainly wouldn't say the U.S. Uh, is the originator of a watch get-together, I feel like the U.S. sort of made it very, very popular. And, you know, we had talked a little bit offline, but these um, 
groups like Red Bar, et cetera, are, are quite popular in the U.S. And, you know, for whatever reason, I think in the U.S., people are a bit more apt to show up with strangers and I don't want to say show off in a bad way, but they're kind of not afraid to to show things that they own. Whereas I think in some cultures, um, far more private. And th- that to me really made the, the whole watch get together scene blow up in the US, just that, that openness and Okay, you have a lot of space in America, depending where you are, too, uh, a variety of different settings, uh, inside, outside, whatever, or big city, you know, down in a basement where nobody else is allowed in, um, like at a bar or something. But the that watch that watch get together thing, I think, really kicked off on social media and created just this sense of people wanting to belong to something or like, oh, hey, I have that interest, too. I could go somewhere where... You know, I can talk about something um, incredibly dorky or specific for two or three hours over a few drinks and everybody else is going to understand me. So I'm curious for you guys, um, you know, Balash, maybe you talk a little bit about Germany and Hungary and New York, certainly the Netherlands, about the whole watch get together scene. Well, as far as Hungary is concerned, I'm really not an expert because I left the country about a decade ago um, for the last time I've been living in Hungary on and off for the last 20 years, but I, I really left about 10 years ago. And I think at the time, um, I mean, obviously social media was already present, but it was not what it is today. And when it comes to German get-togethers, I mean, Mike, you've probably uh, been to as many as I have. Um, we did a few with Fratello in the past and also with uh, Chrono 24 and, and whatnot. So I think it's there's a difference between obviously Germany and the US, but there's a difference between Hungary and Germany in, in terms of mentality. I think Hungarian mindset is much much more um, open. So it's very similar to the US, uh, whereas Germany, I think, is the odd one out in this in this equation. Germans are much more reserved. They 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 don't really like to talk about that stuff unless they really know you and they trust you and but then they come. I mean, we have the, our friends in from Munich. We have our friends from Berlin and stuff like that who come to most of our get-togethers. Um, but I think you know, in, the, in general, Germans are not too open uh, about that stuff. Um, so there's a difference. And 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 Hungary, I've never been to a watch get-together. I, I see my friends and. Obviously, we know each other. We trust each other. Um, I think the culture is not there yet, or not there in uh, as much as it is in 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 the U.S. and even in Germany. But um, yeah, it's just. I, I think going back to what you said, I think it's uh, U.S. is the originator because before that, people were just hanging out in forums, right? And then social media came, and then forums kind of became obsolete. The people don't use it anymore because the whole discussion went over to social media and um, it's just, it, it was a perfect time for these, for these um, organizations or clubs or whatever you want to call them to start these get togethers. And of course you need a lot of people It started in big cities in London, like time for a pint or red bar in New York, where you have millions of people living in a relatively small area. Um, Probably in Frankfurt, I don't know. You you have anything in Frankfurt going on? You know, 
Not really. Um, I mean, I certainly chat with a number of folks and it's all kind of pre-corona. We're like, hey, you know, you should organize something. But and, and I know York hasn't spoken yet, but um, <laughs> I, okay. I, I do think like we've we, we've had, you know, events here in Frankfurt f- related to Speedy Tuesday or something. And, you know, we had we had a good turnout, but I've done something else here where, you know, we had a, a great um, response to the invitation. And then we had a not so great response to the actual physical turnout and you know, what I found here is that um, if it's not, you know, incredibly official and incredibly well organized, it's a bit tougher to get people together. And I, and I would say it's not just watch get togethers. That's even socially here. Um, spontaneity is just not a, a cultural norm here compared to the U.S. where um, I've always felt you know, people will literally call the day of or the day before and say, Hey, do you want to do this? Let's get a group of people together and it's doable here, you know, for whatever reason, planning and different things like that, um, come into play. So I think that probably also makes it a bit of a different scene as well. Um, you know, when we've gone to places, you know, you and I Balash, like Basel or London, especially London. I mean, I think London is very similar to to the U S and, and then when I see, we don't speak French, but when I see what goes on in Paris or Italy, for example, that seems to be a pretty vibrant, um, watch culture there in terms of getting together. Mm-hmm. No, I, I, I agree. I agree. What about you, York? What do you think about the Netherlands? I mean, the Netherlands is very much a watch country. Um, and I have been to quite a few get-togethers, like you said, that were originated by people that were active on the internet forums, on um, on, on different forums that were. Um, but as far as the organized get-togethers, like Mike just mentioned, Red Bar, um, the Red Bar Amsterdam chapter just started last year. So um, in that sense, um, we're a bit later to the game, but get-togethers are uh, have always been... Uh, have always been been there. Um, however, I would say we're closer to culturally to Germany than to the U.S. So um, yeah, it needs some planning, and um, people want uh, want to be up to speed on everything. Do you have a program that time, the place, and everything? It's not as spon- uh, there's not a lot of spontaneity. Um, although I think it is better than in in Germany, to be honest with you. No, I was ju- I was just thinking, you know, like uh, London. Uh, has some, maybe not as much as New York, but but New York for sure has some obvious figures, you know, who are popular on social media or popular in the the online watch magazine world. You, you know, Hodinkee's there, Worn and Wound are there, and you know, there's a little bit of that too, right? When some of those folks show up to some of those get-togethers, um, that's also it's almost become at least within the watch world a bit of a hate to call it like this because it sounds a little bit cringeworthy, but it's almost a little bit like celebrity spotting, right? So people, they they want to bring their best watch or get dressed up or whatever. And uh, that to me, I don't see that at all in Europe. You know, like clearly when there's like a Speedmaster event, okay, everyone knows Robert John, for example, but I don't get the sense that it is as... Um, 
I have to watch my words here, but it 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 does feel a bit more um a bit more laid back um when we when we do these get togethers. I, I don't know what you guys think. Um and maybe it is in the US, it's just maybe my perception or um certainly when I talk to people who do red bar like in Cincinnati or places like that, it's just a group of people coming together. It's it's very laid back. New York is probably all its own. Yeah, that's its own thing. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the group because if you think about, um, for example, time for a pint in in London, I mean, mm-hmm. you've been to a few of those. I've been to a few of those. That was a very tight knit group of people, uh, yep. which which doesn't mean that they they don't let new guys in. They do, but if you don't behave a certain way, or um, you know, if you just come there to show off or bash other people. Eventually yeah, you're not you'll coming leave. back. Yeah. Yeah. You're not, and it's, yeah. And it's not because you can't come back, but because you will not enjoy it or because somebody will come up to you and say, Hey, dude, we don't do that around here. You know? So I think that's probably something you might not have in New York. I don't know. I've never been to any of those, those get togethers in New York. So maybe you do, but in London, even though that was a big group of people, they were really very, kind of protective of this of this whole phenomenon and and they really made sure that there's like-minded people there and it doesn't matter if you bring in a a 50,000 euro Patek or a Casio it's the it's the mentality or the behavior that mattered to those guys Uh, which is a good thing if you ask me yeah yeah I think um you know what I remember one time after Salon QP we had a we, we had that dinner we did and um we, I can't remember how we actually sent out the information, but there were really, even at that time, some concerns security wise. I know some people made a couple comments, you know, they wanted to be a little bit careful leaving or, you know, they limited what they brought. Um, it, it was always kind of in my mind about these get togethers, but like for time for a pint, for example, you know, you didn't get really the address until the last moment. And obviously they stressed, um, keeping things to yourself, but it's, um, I think that also, you know, depending where you live, if you live in an area where, you know, maybe crime rates are higher or whatever, that could also have something to do with, um, whatever the get together culture is. Um, so yeah, but I'll be anxious to see, um, how they kick off now that the world's reopening. I know in the U S some have already started a little bit, um, especially where the weather is decent and people can sit outside kind of looking forward. Yeah. And I, and I guess just like talking about cultures about, you know, are wearing watches popular. I think that we're probably not great people to ask here because um, we're always looking at people's wrists and uh, you know, (laughs) there's probably some chance that we'll, we'll strike into some conversation about a watch with somebody or you know, if somebody notices our watch and we just start talking about it, but in terms of watch popularity, um, I've noticed, and, and this is really, you can once again, probably give a lot of credit to social media and, and I'm sure just general media, but there are a lot of people in the last 10 years since I've been over here who have come up to me or even friends in the U S over the last 10 years who 
didn't really care about watches or maybe had one nice watch all of a sudden started contacting me and saying, Hey, um, I'm thinking about getting a little bit more into watches. Um, and okay. Nine, nine times out of 10, they're like, I was thinking about getting this Rolex, but I went into the shop the other day and they didn't have it. Do you think you could help me get it? (laughs) But, but it feels like everywhere watches have become really popular. So I don't know what you guys notice difference wise. Oh yeah. I agree with you. I um, have a lot of friends and people that I know that come over and they're like, York, what is the one watch I should buy for that, that I want to keep for the rest of my life or, um, asking for advice and that's that happens a lot more over the last couple of years than than before um, and probably the dutch um pack it a little better they don't immediately say rolex um <laughs> they, they leave that one open um so that's for you to answer if you prefer rolex but um yeah i agree with you there's a lot of people that actually and friends of mine who uh, who did go on and buy their rolex or omega or that buy, bought that one watch that is actually um that they really appreciate and um it, it has even led to uh, some of them buying more than just one watch so uh, i would definitely agree with you it's uh, obviously a lot of exposure on social media that gets them into um, watches but also um, there's more people uh, on the street out and about that um you see wearing a nice watch so uh, yeah it's it's a thing um over here in the netherlands for sure i think it's probably becomes more focused when it comes to fashion you know we just talked before the recording started about the 80s and i think watches in the 80s is not they're not an important part of of a man's i mean as far as i can tell a man's attire right it was more about your your pants your shirts your suits whatever now it's the gadgets the accessories is a big part of your of how you look and if you look at magazines, they often, you know, talk about like GQ and Playboy or any of those a bit higher end man's lifestyle, whatever magazines, hashtag man's lifestyle. They talk about, uh, they talk about, you know, Basel World News or SIHH, Watches and Wonders, um, James Bond with uh, with the new Omegas. I mean, what, Golden Eyes 1994 or whatever it started. So I think there's there's also in, in in you know pop culture there's much more focus on phones and gadgets and and watches than it used to be before, but this could be also part of the reason. And that goes hand in hand with social media and and how life is just so fast and you get information in your in your fingertip. You know, you open Instagram and boom, you got all these boots and jackets and buy this these watches and 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 uh, but that's it right the, the accessibility whatever. of um or the exposure of of luxury brands is a lot bigger um it's you have easier access um, i mean uh, we're all uh, born in the 70s and 80s and um, if you would go out in the 80s and 90s and wanted to know something about a luxury watch you would have to get the uh, go to the to the boutique and um, find out more, or s- and get some or a special magazine. Exactly, right? get magazines. Now it's yeah. everywhere, and um, yeah. comes once a month. That's it, right? So yeah. now it's everywhere, every day. And um, also, I um, you guys know I used to work for a design agency and um, did uh, strategy, brand strategy for them, and that's where we also saw a difference in consumer behavior. Without getting too technical in, in in stuff, but what you see is also younger people are willing to. 
save up money to uh, get that watch that they see people wearing. So it's not only um, the exposures there, but they're willing to um, not buy um, a lot of stuff just to get that one Rolex or get that one AP if they want to afford it. So there's a difference in, in consumers as well that um, yeah they, they are willing to sacrifice a lot more to get what they want. And um, uh, could you imagine, like, say, two decades ago, uh, if you would wear a Patek, you would, would probably be, um, well, you would have a, a nice pair of shoes and uh, uh, some nice pants and a nice uh, sweater on you as well. But now you can uh, um, just as easily wear a cheaper sweater and wear a Patek. That's, I mean, culturally, it is different with younger people that uh, you see that. Uh, True. Yeah. So. I yeah. think that contributes a lot to um, that we see it a lot more as well. Yeah, and I, and, and like I, I'll use a couple of my friends um, as good examples. I mean, we're the same age. You know, they both have really good jobs, and I guess one of them was, you know, he he had a a nice watch probably twenty odd years ago, and but he's really gotten into them and. You know, he, he shoots me notes all the time about availability of this or that. And, um, yeah, he's, he's, he's really become kind of a watch person. Uh, and granted, I mean, there are brands like, like he has a Hublot, for example. And I mean, I have to say it looks good on him. He's, he's big dude and, uh, he wears a pretty big Hublot and it looks good on him. But what I, what I like about it is that he bought the watch because he liked it. Like he, he liked it. And that's what he chose. You know, he wasn't, I'm sure he did some reading about it. Um, he's seen other things, but he went in kind of like we used to well before we got into this, where you saw something, you liked it and you yeah saved up for it and bought it. And then I have another friend who, you know, asks a ton of questions. And of course he's also bombarded with all the social media stuff and he just went and bought a Panerai. Yeah. I mean, he went, he had like five or six different watches on his mind. He sat there for a couple hours trying all this different stuff on. And, um, I mean, I will say both of these folks, um, had Rolex on their list and they were good examples of people who got fed up and tired of dealing with, um, Rolex and not being able to get one and they chose something else and they're very happy, but, I wouldn't call either of these folks in the last 10 years really enthusiastic or savvy about watches. They kind of looked at me as the crazy one. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting to see, like you say, um, and yeah, and the one friend, by the way, Balash, he's like, he's got, I don't know how many pairs of Jordans, like all like neatly arranged in his closet from the last 25, 30 years. Like some of them, you, you know, so, so he's a, he's a collector of things. But he was never into watches, and now now he likes them. So it's it is interesting how this uh, this thing on your wrist, which certainly as technology increases becomes ever the more useless, you know, um, still seems to be climbing in popularity wherever we go um, and whoever you talk to. That's probably also because of the value, right? Because you buy a car and you know that you're going to lose money on it. Um, people sometimes ask me what, what watch they should buy with, but keeps the value. Obviously there's not much out there, but, but you know, it's a different story because they think that if you buy an expensive watch, the price is going to be 
the value is going to stay the same or eventually increase. Whereas with a car, you know, you buy a new BMW in 10 years, five years and two years, it's not going to be worth as much. Um, I had a, a very interesting kind of one of my colleagues, he had a Panerai and um, he bought the watch. I think it was a year old or two years old. And after like six years, the watch broke and he took it to a watchmaker and the watchmaker said, yeah, well, we can, I cannot get the parts. I have to, I have to ask you know, you have to ask Panerai. So he went to Panerai and Panerai said, the service is 750 euros. And he came back and said, this is ridiculous. <laughs> I bought this watch for 4,000 euros seven years ago. And now it's 700 euros. I said, dude, if you bought your BMW for 50,000 euros and for seven years, you don't service it, then you go back to BMW and they say, it's going to be a five racks. What are you yep. going to say? You're dumb <laughs> that you didn't do it. I mean, it's the same thing, but now your watch is not worth anything because it's not working versus putting 700 in it, and which which probably should have been 300 had you done it two years after that, after you bought it, and you can keep the value or maintain the value. With the car, it's it's different, right? So I think that's why it's a bit, a bit interesting sometimes for people to understand that it doesn't work the same way as a car does, for example. But I think that, the, you know, when we talk about culture of watches, like the, the point, um, you know, about resale and everything, this is what's going to be interesting, I think, in the next few years, because um, there are more and more people I meet who buy a watch and they are, f and, and they're not like what I would call historically watch people, but they're following it up very quickly with, yeah, well, it's worth X more now. And I'm thinking, Oh man, mm -hmm. th this, mm. this isn't going to go well if this sinks. Right. I mean, for those of us who love watches, no matter what, um, I mean, certainly when I was, I had like different stages of my life where, okay, I didn't have any money, but I was really into watches. You know, I was on eBay all the time using my dial up modem in the late nineties, looking at Hoyers and stuff. And I didn't have a thousand bucks to go buy what is worth a lot more now, but, um, you know, I, I like that watch anyway. And you do have people now who are putting together a portfolio of watches that they're like, Oh yeah, it's worth X more amount more this month, you know, cause I looked on Chrono 24 and I see what those uh, Submariners are selling for. And if they stabilize or go down by 50%, you know, back to what they paid for them, are they going to look at them the same way? I don't think so. I don't think they right. will. And, right. And you, you you need to remember that the prices you see on Chrono 24 are the asking prices, not the sale prices. Yeah. But I mean, you, you get my point. Mm. Like, it's like when you go sure. to, um, I mean, the only thing I, we, we always compare cars for some reason, but, you know, I remember going to like a, an Alfa Romeo owner's group with my dad or a Porsche one later. And you could see the people who showed up who were gearheads and you could see the people who showed up who were showing off. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Yeah. Like they yeah. didn't know what, yeah. they didn't know how to fix their car. They didn't know, they didn't know how to do any of that, but you know, they just, I mean, you, you always see those guys, right? You see the, you see these uh, collections with, with an expensive watch box and there's like 15 Rolexes in it still stickers on and and protective plastic on yeah. are those watch guys absolutely not as you said they it's a portfolio they they buy real estate they buy stocks they buy watches and and they they treat them as such but that's 
I don't know if that's the way to do it. But they are watch guys in the, you know, you know what I mean? Um, Which is dangerous, but (laughs) it, uh, but yeah, they have the watches, but they're not real fans at the end of the day, which. No, absolutely not. And so, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe the other topic I think would be, be interesting to hit on here is just talking about brand popularity um, as you move around. I mean, if you look historically, it's interesting, Balash, I'll pick on um, your country where you are right now, but we, we look, mm-hmm. um, y- you can see where brands were popular 50, 60, 70 years ago, like uh, Doxa, for example, was massive in um, countries east of Austria, right? Uh, back then. And so I don't know about other countries in Hungary for sure. Yeah. And I mean, does that carry over, by the way, to modern Doxa? Do people recognize it and want them because of that? Or you can't really tell? I I don't think it does for the new generation, like my generation. I think my generation care about Rolexes and Longines and Omegas like, like everybody else. Um, my parents' generation, yes, they do look at doxa as a as a valuable watch and i mean to be honest with you the ceo of doxa is of uh, hungarian origin funnily enough so um although that's that's just that's just a coincidence obviously mr educh is um i think his father is uh, hungarian and his mom is swiss um but yeah but that's just a side note um so no i don't think so one interesting thing is a lot of people who work in the air force because we had a lot of Sertina watches, uh, I heard stories of people, not necessarily pilots only, but people who worked with the pilots, with the Air Force, and they knew that they had Sertinas year after year after year. They bought those watches for their kids and grandkids because they knew that those watches are trusted. <laughs> so that's uh, I, I heard a couple of stories when somebody said, oh, yeah, I had my, I had my Sertina. I got it in 1972. And uh, when my son graduated, I, I bought him a Sertina. And, of course, my wife, I bought her a Sertina because those watches – because they have these stories, you know, like, oh, remember when I got out of the plane and it just fell off my wrist and then I don't know, a tank went over it and then blew up and then nothing – you know, these exaggerated stories and then the, the crown came off and I, I don't know, I was uh, – in 50,000 G's like the, the IWC. And, <laughs> but it's still... So all those but stories. But it's still, it's still, still working. <laughs> still working. So, um, yeah, so I, I think that was... But the, the, the creme de la creme was IWC, uh, funnily enough, back in the 50s and 60s. Like, that was oh, really? the watch. And all the watchmakers, yeah, all the watchmakers still talk about it. Oh, wow. Like, that's that interesting. Gritty, that's like... That's that like was... the thing, like... That was the watch, I think, in Germany like 10, 10 15 years ago. Everybody wanted an well, IWC here. Yeah, well, I'm talking more like the, the 70s and 80s, obviously, because okay. you had a bunch of junk, bunch of Russian junk. But but Doxas were good. If you had a Doxa, that was okay. Uh, but if you had an IWC in the in the 60s and 70s and 80s, you were that was pretty expensive. Expensive watch, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what goes on in the Netherlands, Jorg, watch-wise? I mean, we, of course, think of Omega when we think of it, but, but it's because of you guys. But what's really... 
Yeah, you do. But it's also not a coincidence that both Robert John and I are Omega guys because, uh, as you know, uh, Robert John's granddad actually wore an Omega that actually Robert John uh, owns and his uh, his dad uh, owned an Omega. And the same goes for my dad. I actually, my dad still wears his Omega Seamaster DeVille and he's very, very happy with it. And he bought it in 1966. Um, and um, traditionally, Omega is a is a big uh, big brand over here in Holland. It used to be bigger than Rolex for quite some time. Uh, so if you go back to the fifties, sixties, and probably part of the seventies, Omega was the luxury brand over here in the country. Um, and um, yeah, it's fun actually that um, uh, that it's not just that we are very much into Omega, but a lot of people in Holland are. Um, but as Bala said, as you said as well, nowadays it's um, it's very much about the big brands. It's um, not just Omega. It's about Rolex. It's about AP. It's about um, yeah, all the brands that are big right now. But there are some remarkable brands that we see a lot over here um, at jewelers. You see, for instance, one brand that is very big over here is Meistersinger, um, which is quite remarkable. Um, they're from just across the border in Münster in Germany, um, but. Pretty much every shop in, like every uh, jeweler dealer, has Meister Singer that carries more brands like uh, luxury watches. Um, and same goes for for Nomos. Nomos is also a, a big brand over here. Um, but sorry, so, so, sorry to say this, but when I think about um, going north in Europe, I start to think about more um, Danish design, more design, more design, and more. Uh, also a little bit of um, sense of humor too, uh, which I think the Meister singer doesn't take itself too seriously. Um, but then no, like Nomos. It's, and, <laughs> so it's pretty funny how, how inaccurate those are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so, I mean, as uh, funny, funny as that is, um, yeah, when, when whenever I travel to the UK, I'm I'm amazed there how similar in some ways it is to the US watch wise. Like you used to see, I would say, kind of you know your your upper middle class. Um, you know, Tag Heuer was massive in the US, and I think in the UK, you know, Breitling, um, of yeah. course, Omega, um, Seamasters, yeah. Seamaster 300Ms, massive, because, yeah. and then Rolex, of course. But I always, and, and I wish I would have bought one of these, but um, when I first went over to the UK when I moved to Europe, I remember there were all these like shops, you know, these consignment shops selling. Um, they would have been like, I don't know, within 10 years old, but these uh, 34 millimeter. Oyster Precisions, the manual wind watch, the 6694. And they made some like at the end with, you know, the solid bracelet and a lot with blue dials. And they were so cheap. And I should have bought one because they're not easy to find now and they're not cheap. Well, comparatively speaking, but, you know, that was a watch I never saw in America. Like nobody bought a 34 millimeter Oyster Precision in the US. It was always a Datejust or something. And, um, the other thing, of course, in the U S that still carries on and you see it with, uh, Breitling or Panerai because they both still do make large watches, but large watches are still big in the U S I mean, they really are. That's a big, big market, mm-hmm. um, literally, <laughs> um, 
which is just a part of the market that I don't even look at anymore. But when we speak to the brands and they talk about why they're making some of these things, they're like the American market demands it. And we sell a lot of watches there. So that was a trend over here. That's not something you see a lot of anymore. Um, yeah. That's like 10, 15 years ago, I would say. Um, yeah. But um, I mean, obviously, if you uh, look back at them, um, it's like you said, it's the same big brands we have over here in the Netherlands that have been popular for quite some time, like Rolex, Breitling, Omega. Um, but Panerai had its uh, had its moment as well. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, very much so. No, I mean, I remember years there for like three, four years going and there'd be one or two watches in the showcase, you know, and they were usually some complication that you didn't want. The, the real basic watches were impossible to find um that was kind of like going to a rolex ad in the u.s now you know there's nothing in there it was just sort of like astounding you walked in you thought well here's a nice at least they gave you a nice catalog <laughs> back then i don't think they would i don't think, I don't think the have. rolex ad gives you anything anymore so yeah what well, i mean rolex established in in england not mm-hmm. to forget that 1905 right so of course, it's always been an important market, the UK, for Rolex. But um, I remember when I was studying in the UK and I was uh, working in the summer, and um, some people came. It was a, a bigger company that I worked for, and they they um, I don't even know who they were, but some suits came, and it was like two thousand eight, I think, or two thousand nine, and. Each and every one of them was wearing a Panerai. Like that was the era, right? That was the the Paneristi time. This two thousand five, six, seven, eight, all of them, and it was just the most ridiculous thing. Scheme seeing those skinny guys with suits (laughs) and these huge watches, you know, with the thick like zero tapering on the on the leather straps, or even rubber, right? Or even Robert, right? Like you know, you saw this with like I don't know what was the movie with like Sylvester Stallone wearing those watches, and I don't I don't even remember those movies. And then you see these these skinny British guys, pale skin, with longish hair, and wearing these watches was ridiculous. Um, it was just so not 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 fitting to how they dressed. Um, but that was the thing. And then, as you said, I saw a lot of three hundred M's, of course, because of James Bond. A lot of a ton of Breitlings. Didn't Stallone wear it in, in Daylight, so, the movie? Didn't he? Daylight, yeah. yeah Could have been Daylight, yeah, 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 yeah. And that was like one of the big, uh, one of the big movies, right? Where where Panerai was exactly. visible and whatever. No, it's 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 interesting. And then of course you get local actors or or whatever. I mean, I know that you have all local celebrities that the brands use, but I always found that um, when an actor wore it, sort of unannounced in a movie, and it wasn't sponsored. That's sometimes where it takes off too. Like Japan is a great example of that. There are tons of watches out there like the Explorer that showed up in a TV show and then people went nuts for it. I mean, Japan is a very collector savvy Mm, country anyhow. Um, But that's, that's always been my favorite place to go watch shopping um, just because the sheer variety is unbelievable. And also, there can be a pretty nice disconnect sometimes price-wise versus uh, the rest of the world. I mean, I haven't been in three or four years, but there used to be. And like I said before, yeah, you see like these special editions from Zinn or, you know, Longine or even Omega has done special editions for that market mm-hmm. because it's so rabid about limited pieces. 
So it's, it's, it's very different. Well, it's interesting to see as well that uh, I don't know how it is in Germany, but in the Netherlands as well, for instance, you, uh, you see a lot of steel watches like gold has, has not been like flashy pieces, like call it like that has not been very popular. It has become popular over recent times, but traditionally we only buy steel watches. How is that in Germany, Hungary, the US we know might. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it's a really, really good point because, um, you know, I've talked to Sasha Davidoff, for example, about watches and I said, oh, yeah, like this was several years back when maybe I could have bought, uh, you know, Balash the, the Submariner. I talked to you about the 70s gold mm-hmm. and he's like, Mike, he's like, I just have no clientele here in Europe for these, especially the Swiss. They're just not that don't buy gold. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really, yeah. but I think in Europe, um, this, this does speak a bit more to the subtlety piece, right? Where yeah. people also get a little concerned about showing off. You know, if you think about in Germany, for example, if you're the owner of a, of a company, you know, and you go rocking a loud gold watch, then you start to, that doesn't doesn't play well, right? With the and and I get that because um, there are a lot of privately owned companies. So mm-hmm. true, with a lot of money, and the, and a lot of lot of lot of uh, a lot of rich guys driving Volkswagens in Germany. Because at least to work, right? At least to work. <laughs> at least to work. Yeah, yeah. at least to work. What's in the garage? Exactly. There's. Yeah, I, I, I think so. There's there's stories of um, Switzerland on the weekend, of, right? Oh yeah, uh, there's, and and garages packed with cars that you don't see them. Uh, as a friend of mine whose whose father was debating between uh, an expensive German sports car and a expensive German Volkswagen truck, and in the end he went to the Volkswagen because he said, "I I I can't do that. Imagine I'm going to a meeting and I pull up in the sports car, <laughs> prices will go up fifty percent immediately." <laughs> I can't yeah. do that. That's so, oh, true. So I, I have to, I have to get that. And it's funny, you know, because you, you see, a, I don't know, a, what is this? Is the Volkswagen is it Touareg still, still in Volkswagen's uh, truck? I have no clue. Which is like, it's probably if, if you want like a fully loaded one, it's still like eighty thousand, right? Like sixty, eighty thousand, which can get you a nice Porsche too. But if you see a Porsche versus see a Touareg, you're like, yeah, okay, much different. Yeah, right? that's true. Yeah. So he went with the he went with the Touareg, I think, in the end. It, it's actually why um, a lot of people I know in industry tend to favor Omega versus Rolex. Mm-hmm. Even also even if true. it's a Rolex that costs less than an Omega, yeah, yeah still yeah, something more perception. still something more workmanlike about wearing an Omega for yeah. and and that's. Maybe that sounds like a damning Omega, but it's not. It's they've somehow carved yeah. out this niche of hey, you know, we're a luxury brand, but we're not too shouty, which is yeah, kind of cool. Yeah, that's it, right? So, that's why probably because it fits right. the Dutch the Dutch uh, culture a lot. That's why they prefer it as well, traditionally as well. Um, and a Rolex is a Rolex. Everybody knows a Rolex. Nobody knows not not nobody, but not as many people know Omega. Well, my one of my buddies is uh, working at a bank, and he's, he he was debating between some watches. And he said, in the end, he went with the Speedmaster. And he said, yeah, like Rolex is out of the question. He's a he's a branch manager of a mm-hmm. of a bank in Germany. He said, I cannot buy a Rolex because I have private customers coming to me. 
and they see the watch, they and those private customers, they know what a Rolex is. He said, I cannot buy, I cannot wear Rolex mm. to work. That's absolutely out of the question. Dutch bankers yeah, started absolutely. wearing IWC some time ago. Obviously, because it yeah. has the advantage of usually it would go for a Portugueser. That's the, the one to go for. And it obviously has a leather strap that already helps, but it also helps that there's no Rolex on the dial. I agree with you. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, uh, yeah, it's just less extravagant, I would say. Flashy might not be the right word, mm. but... Um, yeah. Less known, right? Yeah, exactly. Less known. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so. But you're wearing a platinum, a platinum Speedmaster <laughs> versus a, a steel, a steel Submariner. <laughs> totally true. Totally true, though. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, I appreciate the talk, and thank you uh, to Finland for sending us this message or sending us this request. And certainly, if anybody else has any any ideas, feel free to contact us. Um, and by the way, dear listener from Finland, we didn't say your name because we didn't clear it with you first. We didn't want to divulge yes, your name. So, but thank you for saying. You know who you are. You know who you are. Exactly. So, well, with that, gentlemen, um, I'm going to head on out of here. So, it's nice, nice speaking with you, and we'll have to do it again in a week or so. Let's do it. Seems good to me. Frankfurt is out. Page is out. The Hague is out.